welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. So today we're going to talk more about emotions. And I have a little handout, in fact. Now, um, this little handout is just some bullet points, so it's probably not going to make a lot of sense to you. Gwen's getting a call from the Love Shack. I'm sure of it. Perfect. Anyway, it's just we're going to just talk this through a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, now, the title of this book is "The Atlas of the Heart." What is an atlas? Does anybody know what an atlas is? What's an atlas? It's a little more than a map. What's an atlas? Let's look it up. I haven't looked it up recently. It's probably got a good definition, don't you think? The most topmost vertebrae of the backbone. That's one of them. I don't like that one. Let's get a better one than that. Oh, here, I like this one. A collection of maps, often including illustrations, informative tables, and textual, textual, textual matter. So she titled this book Atlas of the Heart. So let's think about that for a minute. I see some of y'all are reading ahead. I'm not done with my introduction, so don't be reading. Stop reading. Stop reading. Okay. So the at, what is the atlas of your heart? What is that? So it's a combination. Let's use that of illustrations, informative tablets, yeah. tables, and textual, textual wall matter. Yeah. That's your heart. Look at that. That's really cool. That's what we're, that's what we're doing. We're studying what's going on inside there. Stuff's going on inside of there that we're going to talk about today that you don't have language for. Yeah. Would anybody agree with that? Yeah. Now, I want to, one of the things that Brene Brown was talking about that I listened to yesterday was that Developing a new language feels scary for some. For some, it's like, please, would someone get some language? I know Mendel is hopeful that people can learn the English language. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's those of us who use such descriptive words like weird and odd to describe, you know, for... for for a long time up here, you know, we've been working on sound for low these years. And then we, I liked, what I like to do is keep messing it all up and we have to relearn it. That's my, one of my favorite things to do to Calandra so that she gets to relearn over and over because I know what it's doing in her. She don't like it, but I like it on her. <laughs> and so one of the things I will be like, okay, tell me what the sound sounds like. It sounds weird. Well, now see... I'm not going to be able to use that to help your ears sound better in the sound department, right? We need to have some other language. Would you agree? Because weird moves all the time telling me her ears sound weird. And I'm like, that, I can promise you, Mendel says her ears sound weird. Moves at ears sound weird. Shooties usually sound stuffy. Those words don't have any meaning in the sound department. <laughs> I propose we're using the same kind of language yeah, that's so good. In, in our one thing that is able to connect our heart. And the other people we're saying it to, they don't even know what you mean. Yeah. 
Right, and remember, we're learning to be a good steward of people's stories, right? So let's start with a few comments from her. She said, um, I made a cool little slide or two. Our connection with other people is only as deep as our connection with ourselves. Now, remember from this book you just read, she has this line I loved. She said, creation is an astonishing system that not only nurtures life in millions of complex ways, but also displays spectacular beauty from the jewel-like colors of a dragonfly's fragile wings to the bewildering expanse of light and form in a single landscape. And you are part of that amazing, astonishing system. So let's choose today to flower our existence with language that actually portrays how we feel. How, what emotion we're having. We're, we're, we could all yes. do better. Yes. 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 And so think about this. I mean, this is obviously, she wouldn't probably say it, but it's, it's a biblical thing. What's, what's the scripture that goes along with that? I can only love my others as I, so that that's it. Our connection with other people is only as deep as our connection with ourselves. I know everyone in here has a greater connection with yourself than when I met you. I know that. I know you're a little more aware of why you exist. That's connection. Why are you here? How do you, now we need to grow in how I feel and what is the, what are these emotions I'm having? You know, feelings I haven't talked about much, but feelings and emotions, as we know, are not the same thing. And so I want you to try to focus the attention on emotions. Try to focus on what part of your brain is experiencing something. And one thing I love about this book is that she actually has 86 examples of emotions where, where she was talking about in her research, a lot of times they try to narrow it down to just like three or four, 86. And I love how one of the things that I love that she does is she distinguishes them from each other. We'll be getting to that, you know, like there's a difference between stress and overwhelmed. You know, there's, we can't just put it all into the weird category. Do you see? So in order for us to connect with each other, I have to know who I am. Another biblical concept, agreed? I have to be connected to myself. How many know that can be hard? How many have ever felt disconnected from yourself? How many know why you were? Why were you? Trying to be something else. Busy being something else. I didn't even know who I was. What else? Got judgment about myself. I've been rejected. And you remember when you were a little kid and you did that cute little thing and someone said, don't do that. Do you remember that? Did you know everybody has that story? I know. You thought you were the only one. I know. Everybody has that story. Every single person on the planet, when they were a little kid, got corrected, and they said, I'll never do that again. They made a vow right there. And we and we just carried that on into adulthood until we said, I won't do that. I won't do that. I won't do that. There's so many things we won't do. We can't even keep track of all the rules, right? And so this discovery, obviously, that we are on, on a in a supernatural, spiritual way of who we are, Think about if, if God intends for us to be fully whole, W-H-O-L-E, wouldn't that have to do with this part we're talking about now, our emotions? 
And so if I, the more whole I feel, the more confident I feel, the more brave I feel, the more I don't care what people think as much I feel, right? And so then it causes me to want to try to describe what's going on for me so that you would have language for it as well because we're going to be stewards of people's stories, right? So you can kind of see where it's going, right? Um, I like how she said this, but we what we do is we end up desperately wanting connection with other people, right? Does it? And has anybody ever felt that? Anybody want that? So desperate that um, we almost look outside there to get our identity from them. We're looking outside ourselves. We're so desperate. So you tell me who I am. I'm going to be reaching out there to you. I'm so, I want connection so bad. How many know they've done that? And so then what did that person do? They were doing the same thing. This is why people get divorced is because we went into marriage saying this other person was going to do this for me. Right. And I didn't even know who I was. So, so I brought a stranger to the relationship and then they did too. And then we're both doing the same thing at the same time. We're both trying to make, we're trying to look outside ourselves for that person to tell me who I am. And then if I'm convinced, I'll try to live by it. Yeah. Right? You can see, we're just identifying the problem. Um, it says, we are not just thinking machines. We are actually feeling machines yeah. that think. Yeah. So that's a really good thing to restructure in your mind. Because I promise you, most everybody in here does this habit of trying to get back to thinking. We're a little bit nervous about our, our emotions and feelings, right? Agreed? So think of yourself in, a, in this way. I like to think of myself like this. I really am a feeling machine. I think, but everything goes through. I mean, when you wake up in the morning, <laughs> the first thing you say is, I feel stiff, spindles. I feel achy. I feel happy. You know, I wake up happy most every day. So I wake up, I'm like, man, I feel happy today. Wow, what a cool day to be alive. That's what I wake up with almost every day. And I'm looking around going, man, what could happen today? Because I, I think I got a whole day. Do y'all, does anybody else feel like that? Yeah. And so that's a fun way to wake up, right? So other people wake up and they don't feel that way. They were like, I had a bad dream, you know, I, right, right. So we're feelers first, right there, just proves it, right? And so depending on how good, I mean, on, a, on the practical spiritual side, depending on how good I know how to have self-control and I know how to abide with God, how I know to come face to face with Him, He wants to restructure. I can tell you the reason why I wake up happy is because I believe what He says about me, first and foremost. So when I wake up, I don't think, I wonder if God's mad at me today. I wonder if He's up there cranky at me today. I wake up every day feeling really loved, feeling really accepted by Him, feeling like, you know, I don't have anything in my heart that is evil. And, and that propels me, then if I sense something and it feels bad, I know it can't be me. This is a really good thing if we could ever learn to do I know it can't be me because I already know how I feel. Right? 
And so think if that will really help you, I think, because sometimes that negativity, if it, if you will, sets a trajectory for the day, right? How many have felt bad for a long time during the day just to realize it was something else than what you thought? And then you're like, man, I wasted all day long feeling bad. That is just a bad feeling. Here's this is the reason why it's two, it's twofold. One is, like I said, we don't have our identity is still in process, and so and we don't realize that, that God is actually going to use our emotions to speak to us. That's a big one for a lot of y'all. So He comes in with an emotion. He's like, "Hey, here's what I want you to pray about today," and you are off all day long over on that island. I don't know who's over there with you. I don't think anyone and nothing. And then later you wake up and you look around, you're like, I am on this island all by myself. And, and then you find that person that feels exactly like you were feeling, right? Has that happened to you yet? So what does that tell us? What does that tell us? What? Yes, he's using your emotion to tell you something. You said he could. You said you're not your own. You said he could. You said he could. Do you mean it? Because he will do it. And then he'll do it again. Won't he do it again? Yes, he will do it again. And he will, won't he do it again? He will do it again. Because what is he doing? He's saying, you are mine, and I purchased you, and you said I could use you, and I want you to transform the world with miracles. So I need to tell you the target of the day. It's really simple. So we are emotional beings again, but we on occasion, we think, right? I mean, really, y'all, if you could just do a snapshot of your life, most of your day is stuck in emotions, not a lot of thinking, right? And so, agreed? We tend to think that we tend to not even think about emotion. We try to push it aside and return back to just thinking, right? Because we were taught that emotion gets in the way of what we're really supposed to be doing, Does anybody identify with that? Okay. I think that this is an amazing tool, and she's not even teaching it from a point of view of using it with your spiritual gift, but think about if you believe this and you begin to really mature and hone this gift in you. Like you actually could create and have language for the actual, it wouldn't just be, I feel weird. I feel bad. I feel heavy. But you begin with the Holy Spirit to articulate more specifically language for what it is that you're feeling or saying. Number two things will happen. One is you will actually be able to articulate what you and not you so much better. When it's just this weird umbrella, it's just over everything. Right? And and secondly, you would be able to pinpoint people and you'd be able to say to them, do them, or have you been feeling like blank today? Not, have you been feeling weird today? Well, yes, everyone can say that. 
But what if, have you been feeling a sense that something in the future is going to be messed up by something that happened to you in your past? I mean, that's a little more specific than just, I feel weird. And I, I propose we're a little bit underdeveloped in this area. So, so then what we do is, because we have beautiful mentors around here, we're like, hey, I'm feeling something. What are you feeling? I don't know. Weird. Okay, so then what happens? The mentor goes on a big search to try to help solve the problem of the mystery weirdness. I'm just, I'm just challenging you. You said I could challenge you. The mystery weirdness that they can't even have language for. And so then they try to come up with little, well, do you, was it here? When did it come in? I mean, these are just tools we are trying. But what if we actually partnered our soul with the Holy Spirit? Then we could say to the mentor, the Holy Spirit told me today, I woke up with this, and this is what he said. This is what he said. This is it. Blah, 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 blah. You know, it's interesting last night that Cece, uh, she loves Saturday nights, and she had these two dreams. And so these dreams are playing out today. And so in one of the dreams, um, basically at the end of this stairway were these two doors. And she was talking about when she went to put her hand on the knob, there was just so much fear. And I was thinking, wow, that's really what's happening right now in this room, or this three minutes, is that God is giving us, you got the old way and the new way, and they're right there before you. And when you go to reach, when I'm, I'm challenging you to say, hey, will you wake up and do something different? You're like, oh, I don't know. I mean, like, what if it doesn't work out? What if behind that door is, Ugh. and the other dream she had is another door dream. We're all at the door today, okay? Uh, just to help us know, just in case you're wondering. So the other dream was that she was in this room, and really quick, I'm just going to paraphrase it, 333 was in the dream, so that's good, right? Yeah. As opposed to 666, I would think. 333. <laughs> but she was on one side of the door, in the, and there were mean people on the other side of the door, but they did not get through the door. And I was thinking, wow, that's exactly what's going on in the room today. There are all these scary things outside of us. But God's doing something in here. He's, you're protected. The 333 is surrounding you. He is wanting to work something different out of you. He's wanting you to be able to choose the right door and to be able to put your knob on there with confidence. I mean, your hand on the knob with confidence to say, I'm going to go through this door. I'm going to learn new language. I'm going to do this thing that I told him. I'm yours. So if you're not your own, you're not your own. That's the one thing you've got to understand. So you have got to learn more about how he speaks to you. If you put that off on everybody else, they're going to be running around forever trying to figure you out. And you have no language. Good? I love this line she said, The pain centers in our brain that light up, they're the same for emotional and physical pain. See, this proves my thing. I've always said that it didn't matter if it was physical or emotional abuse. It's the same. See, every abused woman that I've ever met has a, a skewed viewpoint in their brain because of this right here. In my lifetime, emotional abuse was never talked about. We just barely started talking about physical abuse. It's the same. Listen to me. It's the same. That's what she said. If you, if I poured scalding hot water on your coffee or water on your hand, it would be the same feeling. The same thing would happen in your brain 
as if you felt socially excluded, rejected, or isolated. Your brain lights up the same. That proves something to us about what is really working, our brain. Our brain experiences the same pain from that. So see, listen, we, when we meet people, try to remember something like this may have happened to them, right? So you don't know their whole story. I love it. We process that pain the same way in our brain. How many know that abuse is hard to identify sometimes? I, I don't... I've spent a lot of years studying abuse and understanding abuse and watching abuse and its effect, especially on women. It's really rare. I've seen it in men, but it it does happen. But I've seen its effects on women so much. And what's happening in our society right now is a response to abuse with women. That's, that's really what's happening. I'm not trying to just make one big blanket statement, but I mean, it's really happening. And if we don't understand that, we will alter ourselves due to abuse. Yes. And so it's really, really important. This is, I'm just trying to identify how our little emotions work. Now, the, the next, I think I've got, my pages are different than yours. Is emotion is, is, is that next? Okay. So I love, she began to describe her definition of what we can identify as emotion. And all she's doing is trying to delineate between feelings and emotions or things like that. Right. So I like this. She said, it's part biology. So how your actual, this thing feels, how your body feels in response to something. So think about an emotion. So today something happened to me and it made me nervous, right? And so what happens when you get nervous? For me, my heart begins to beat a little bit faster. Like I start feeling it beating. I'm like, what are you doing down there? Stop beating so fast. And it feels like it beats bigger, like bam, out there. And I'm like, stop. Like, have you felt that when you're nervous? Have anybody been nervous this week? Right? It's a weird feeling and you can't stop it. Isn't that cool? You can't stop it. It's an indicator, right? And so if I don't understand why my body is doing that, she says that that's the very first place you process emotion, right there in your body. Think about fear. I got a whole other thing I'm going to preach on fear soon. Think about fear, right? How does it make you feel? Not weird. You can't use weird anymore. His body feels weak. Can't think. See, once we begin, do you, are you getting the picture? Once we begin to actually have language and attach these things, we'll actually be able to say, hey, I'm not thinking well because I'm having fear. Where's that fear come from? Where are that? What's going on right there? Who's the author of that? What is that? You know, we'll begin. Do you understand? We can flip over our misery we have all day long. It just builds on it and builds on it. Because guess what? In five minutes, something else is going to happen. <laughs> Another thing for your body to do some big reaction to is coming your way, baby. It is coming up the mountain. Here it comes. It's, you're going to intersect right with it. Right? I would love us to get out of that thing we used to call stackers. That's what is really happening right here. We're just not processing things well. 
The second thing is biography is how we were raised. How were you raised? What were emotions doing in your family? So we're talking about emotions right now. What was the culture? I mean, if you're over 40, then there wasn't a lot of talk about emotions in your family. Like no one even used the word ever. I remember I was, my parents were 30. I was probably in my early 20s when I taught my parents about personalities and boundaries. They had never heard it before. They were had been married for 30 years. 30 years without any knowledge that they were a different personality. I remember the first thing my mom said about my dad, who's a sanguine choleric. Oh my gosh, I thought he was doing this to me the whole time on purpose. I didn't realize it was just his personality. (laughs) And my dad loved it so much, he walked around and told everybody he was a penguin. He didn't know all the verbiage, but he knew he was something. And it sounded just like a penguin. A sanguine sounded like a penguin. We'll just go with that. And then he would become an expert. He would go to the grocery store and he'd say, you're a sanguine, aren't you? Just because they were talking loud. That was He became an expert in personalities. Just that one little bitty tiny bit of information I gave him. Do you see what I'm saying? Information is so empowering. Whenever we give away that information, this is what this is happening today. So think about your culture. Were you able to be angry, sad, mad? Those are some basic emotions. What happened when you were sad? Did someone come over and tell you they were sorry and nurture you and say, tell me what's going on with you? Why are you so sad? I want to know more about you. I want to know your story. I'm going to be a steward of your story because I'm your parent. And I'm going to help you discover your story. Come here and tell me. Sit on my knee. Let me tell you. Let me hug you. Let me hold you. Let me tell you. That's what happens when you're sad. How did that happen for you? What happened when you were sad? Go to your room, just feel better. What else? We ain't got time for sad. We're trying to eat. Got some coddling going on. Got some unhealthy nurturing right there. Some coddling. That's not empowering. Coddling is not the same. That doesn't give you any tools to do anything with it. Were you able to be um, hurt? Did you? Did anyone in here ever get to tell their parents that they hurt them? Insanity. Listen to me. I'm just heresy right now. Wouldn't you have loved to? Let's just take a minute. What would you say? What would you tell them? See, I've gone through this exercise. You need to, too. You need to give yourself permission. If you hang out with me a little bit, I'll make you give yourself permission To tell whoever hurt you how they hurt you, why they hurt you, why that was hurtful to you, how they could have done it different. See, we've got to have language for what we need. It's all connected to the same thing. Are you following me? So that's what you have to remember. That's part of your emotional base is how you were raised. What was going on around your family, inside your family, when the doors were locked and it was just y'all, what was going on? Were you scared when you were home? You know, when you're afraid in the place that's supposed to provide safety, what do you think that does to you? Your brain is firing off all kinds of signals, right? So this is just identifying where your emotions come from. And behavior is another one. How do you act with emotion? Let me shut them down. I bet if you go back, people who shut down their emotions were scared a lot at home. It's a pattern. We're just trying to find patterns. 
We're just trying to find patterns, okay? People who overexpress their emotions a lot, probably there was no boundaries at home. They had a permissive parent. There's all kinds of things you can put together in a pattern. Try to, uh, try to really identify so that we know what we're working on. You know, we can't just sit around and judge our parents all the time for what they didn't do right. right. It's a waste of time. Yes. Nobody's parents did perfect. Yeah. It's not even about that. It's not even measuring whose parents did worse. It's about measuring how did that happen on you and how can you do something about you that that affected. Yeah. I want to say something about boundaries right there, but this is not the time for it. But just know I want to. How do you act with emotion and how do you show up with an emotion? Do you get real big? Do you get real little? Do you laugh? Do you have a little tick? Emotion is driving all of that response. Isn't that cool? I mean, it is like, has anybody been mad this week? What happened when you were mad? What, did somebody do something you didn't like? I know a couple of people got mad this week. And what happened when you got mad? What, what was it that rose up? Was it unfair? Were they being idiots? What was it? Think really deeply now. If anybody wants to reveal, Pam, you can reveal. When you get mad, when you got mad, what did it feel like? Were you mad at them or you? And then later, were you mad at them or you? Okay. See, there that transition happens. Like sometimes after we get mad for a while, then we're mad that we got mad. I think you got to that point. She got mad that she got mad. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't know if you know this, but that's a setup by God. Pam, that thing happened to Pam has happened to Pam a lot in her life that I've known her. It's a setup by God. God allowed that. He allows that to happen. Experiences happen. Listen, even if God wasn't allowing it, he was just, his big hand was holding everything back. We would still have experiences we needed to work through. Yes. Right? Yes. Are y'all good? Yes. Then there's always a backstory. This is all just about emotions, right? Um, there's a journey that happened. You just didn't get here. You didn't go, you didn't pop out of the womb, and then here you are. Right? If you've lived on the planet more than five minutes, you've got a journey. Right? And in your journey, there's your story. If you're a pattern watcher like me, I can see different things that people tell about themselves, and I can see where they got stuck. And see, when we're so unaware, we have a backstory. Surely no one in here will fall in this category. All your words and all the things you're saying point to your backstory to anybody that is self-aware at all. And so then all your stories, everybody's like, oh, should I tell them? <laughs> That's where I fall in that category. I mean, I'm just standing here innocently hearing a story, and I'm like, oh, do I tell them? Do I tell them, or do I just let it go again? I just let it go. Oh, my gosh, this is the seventh of the time I know of that it's happened. That's, that's the backstory. Are you with me? Yes. And so we've got to get to the place where 
we understand part of our emotional drive comes from this backstory. So if I was rejected back there in my backstory, then more than likely I'm going to arrive at a situation feeling like I could be potentially rejected. And so I'll lead with that. So then everything I view, do you get it comes from the lens that I potentially, they probably don't like me very much. I get this a lot. You know, I just, I just, I just go from that little room to this chair. That's all I do. And, and I, I'm, I've got something on my mind because I'm fixing to come up here and do something for three hours. So I've got something on my mind. In that moment, I don't see anyone because I'm just trying to get from there to there to here. And see, in that moment, someone that's pre-rejected is viewing me and they have no idea that I have a mission to get to. They're only viewing it through what they feel. And see, that's what we do to so many people. I mean, somebody at the, at the, on cue. Okay, no, I've got a good story. So the other day, I was coming out of this edition, and I was, and I got, and there's plenty of room, got out, guys, long, long way off, and I went, and I was going to turn left, so I had to get out, go across two lanes, you know, to go the other, go the direction to turn left. I'm just waiting there to turn left into my own edition, just right there on 164, the guy is behind me waiting. He is able to go around me, you know, because there's no more traffic. And he lays on the horn, honks at me for wanting to turn left. And I'm thinking, what is going on for him? He's got a backstory because we have just met. And I turn here into my edition lots of times. So all of a sudden on this day was the day that he arrives on the scene and he needs to lay it. Now, see, that happened to me two times in a row. I was at another place. I was at a stop sign. And I'm waiting on these people to go that are out here, that four cars back. A guy that can't even see the traffic. And I'm an extrovert driver, so I should tell you something. I turn and I go, he pulls up behind me, going down the street, and honks at me because why? We were at the stop sign too long, I guess. What? He has a backstory. We just arrived at that spot, at that stop sign, four cars back. He needs to let me know. He needs to go out of his way to let me know. Now, see, that's a backstory. I bet that guy had 10 more of those that day, right? That's what happens, see, because that backstory is at play. What's going on? Well, I'm in a hurry. You're in the way. Why aren't you going when I think you should go? You can't even see, but you don't think about any of that. You're blind, deaf and dumb, right? That's what happens to us. It says, um, uh, basically, she was saying when we, it's twofold. When we know more of someone's story, then it evokes more emotion when they're telling us something, right? In the same way with you, if you know more of your story. Like if I told you my greatest hurt, you could have sympathy for it. I could tell you all the circumstances surrounding it. You could know more of the backstory. You'd have more emotion, but it would never be like it was being me. Right? You cannot, I like what she said, you cannot read emotion in other people. Stop trying it. 
You can't read what's on their face. You don't know what's going on with them. You don't know their backstory. They've been on a journey. They've arrived here. Just think about that. They just came from out of town. Think about that. When you're mentoring, especially think, well, they just came from out of town. There's a whole story. Now, see, what happens in our story is if we don't understand that these are all emotional components, then we will want other people to solve our emotional story. We do. We want them to fix us. We want them to be the answer. We want them, and see, that's Jesus' job. Jesus has to, here's the cool part about Jesus. He comes in and he heals things we don't know need healing. Then you go on a new journey to get actually more healing for all the places your emotions are all wacky because of this whole story. Think about it. God made everything perfect, including your emotions. Remember what we did on Wednesday? We, we were supposed to take that piece of paper. Did anyone do it? And two people. And write down our emotions. Write down our history with emotions. This is going to be used later on in our little study here. If you don't do any of the suggestions, then at the end of the time, you're just going to hear a bunch of words, but you didn't actually do an exercise to look at you. And then somebody's going to come to you and say, well, you've been doing that a long time. And you're like, yeah, I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to take time to write that down. See, that process of actually spending a little time with your own self, because everybody else is. Everybody else is spending time with your little own self. Everybody else is more aware of how you act than you. And it's time that, listen, that story, those, that history and those layers of story are really important for us to look at. So our next little part is on your papers at Language Portal. Is that next? Okay. Just because we begin to have this language for emotions doesn't mean that we have no self-control anymore. So we don't, we're not giving ourselves permission to say, yes, there's the boundary talk right there. You know, I can do anything I want to you because we're learning about new language for emotions. That's not what we're doing here, okay? We're discovering more about ourselves. So there's these three components that she mentioned that I loved, and I just wanted to jot them down for us. There's language. We're talking about it right now. We need more language that is as expansive as the human experience. How many would agree with that? How many would agree that you would like to have more ways to describe how you feel except for weird? Anybody? Yes. And so because of that, you have to actually dive a little deeper. We're a little bit afraid of the deep sometimes. How many think that their emotions are a slippery slope? I've heard that one recently. Right? So I I promise you, if you will walk with me on this exercise, that they won't be scary anymore. The scary part of them is because they haven't been understood and they haven't been articulated well. Have you ever started to tell somebody, like you just get up the gumption, you're like, okay, I'm going to tell them this really deep thing. Have you ever been there? I'm going to tell them this really deep, deep thing. And as soon as you start talking, listen to me, sanguines. As soon as you start talking, the sanguine jumps in with a story of their own. Have you ever had, anybody ever had that happen? That's a, that's a weird feeling, isn't it? You're like, oh, I thought we were going to have it. I thought we were going to have a special time here. I thought we were having QT, but no, we're having story time. And it's your story. Not my story at all. See, that happens to me all the time. But I just say, hey, I'm talking. 
hey, I have, I'm telling something about me. I actually tell the person that. That would be really good for you to learn to do that. It's not mean, you know, they just slipped into something I'm going to talk about here in just a second. So number two is that we need discovery. It's a framework for the human connection that allows us to get curious about what it means to connect, but holds us accountable. There's some boundaries for how we connect with ourselves and other people. So that's really important, right? That we do want to understand. We want to actually look at something through the eyes of this could be better. I'm going to get curious. This could be better. I think this could be better. I don't know if I'm good with it right here forever. This probably could be better, right? I want to be more deeply connected. I want to feel more deeply connected. Do you? It's a good feeling. There's more. I'm just telling you. With people. I know it's shocking. You know, people are not the enemy. See, that's the cool part I learned a long time ago is that people are not who I'm warring against anyway. They may make me mad, but they are not who I'm warring with. And if they do something that makes me mad, it's something in me. Something in me. Something in there. Right? Because that other person, I'm talking about our safe people here. That other person is not going to be like, I'm just going to be hurting them. It's all I can. It's just not even occurring, right? So we've got this discovery, and then we have this accountability. Learn to listen and believe. I love this. She said, we can't walk in other people's shoes. And... Um, what happens is she was saying, when people tell you things, then you begin to try to put yourself in their shoes and we have to stop doing that. That'll mess us up because you can't be in their shoes. You didn't have their parents. You didn't have their upbringing. You didn't have nothing, none of it. Right. And so I love that. She said, we don't have to feel threatened of what someone's telling us if it doesn't line up with my experience. Have you ever felt that way? Yes. I felt that way before somebody's telling me something about them and I'm like, oh, I can't relate. I don't like what they're saying. Yeah. They may not be using language I like. And I immediately can shut that off. Right? Yeah. And so just discover what, who, what makes you feel threatened yeah. and then be able to say to someone, hey, I think you're feeling threatened by what I'm telling you right now. Hey, I think you're feeling a little scared. Am I scaring you right now? I say that a lot. Am I scaring you right now? I mean, like, is my, I mean, I know it feels scary to even say that, but I say that to people. Hey, I'm pretty deep. I know I could be scaring you right now. I may be just too deep for where you want to be right now. Maybe too fast, too long, too short, too high, something. Why? Because I'm trying to interact with connection. If I see the other person not connecting well, you know, I think Shudi does this really well. She does this with me. We have this lot. So I'll tell her something. She'll be like, okay, let me try to tell you, like if we're texting, let me try to tell you what you're saying. Well, if that goes on two or three times, she's like, hey, I need to come see you. Just happened to us today. Because there's something about we're losing translation through texting. And then in that moment, she knows that we will not leave until we have understanding. Even if it's something she feels scared to do or, or doesn't want to do or whatever, we work through it. That's, that is the epitome of just this accountability. I we are going to maintain within ourselves what's necessary to keep the connection strong. Yes. We're just gonna fly off the, have you ever been talking to somebody and got triggered? Yes. Spouses, this happens a lot in marriage. I don't know what's going on. 
I don't know what's happening, but something's happening whenever you're married and then all of a sudden they're telling you something about them and it makes you feel so bad and safe and what's wrong with you and oh my gosh, then all of a sudden the problem is about you and you're careening off into oblivion. Anybody ever done that? Just two people. Well, I'm glad I was able to say that for you. The next little thing is my limits of my language mean the limits of my world. That's a really good line. It's good to remember. Language doesn't just communicate how or what we are feeling, but it actually shapes the affect and emotion of what we're feeling. Isn't that cool? So like you have, um, you'll have a different experience when you begin to communicate differently. She, she told this story about how that when she was in college, she waited tables and she said that sometimes she would pull a triple. I don't even know what that means, but I think it means she worked all day. But she said that they had that they had these systems that one would say that you're in the weeds. That means what? If you're in the weeds, you're 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 it's getting pretty busy and you can't you're not caught up. And the other one was your. Do you know what the other one is? It's like you were completely spent, but it's another word she used. Um. Anyway, she's more than in the weeds. It's the next level. And she was talking about how that, that way back then it was really cool. This company had sort of a code word. Have you worked someplace that had that? Had a code word so that someone would know they needed to step in. And if you were on that other word, totally spent, they would make you take a break. And you would have to do nothing. And so she was saying it was really good. She goes, even back then they could identify, hey, I'm just a little bit stressed out right here, but I'm not overwhelmed yet. And so quit saying overwhelmed when you're just a little bit stressed. Quit saying you're... Uh, I wish I could remember the word too much when you're just in the weeds yeah. give language to where you are so the other person can target how they can help you if we're always just saying man I'm just overwhelmed I just can't do it then you just can't do it I mean then what is that other person left to do there's a there's a series that comes isn't that good so I think that's really good if we can remember that because we're actually communicating to somebody I mean when we want to be so dramatic about how we feel what are we really doing right there? We're really manipulating. We're really saying, hey, I don't want to do my responsibility. I don't want to be accountable. I want you to fix something for me when I wasn't managing myself at all. So I love this. When we mislabel things, it changes our experience of them. So she's talking about right there. We need to build a bridge between our emotions and our thinking. So... Listen, it's this, this is why it's hard for some of us. We would much rather, and we were probably raised, to just be manipulative. If you were coddled, then you were raised to be manipulative. So then all you'd have to throw out was the, I'm, I'm just desperately overwhelmed card, and then psh, hero would step in, right? Catapult in, here comes a rescuer, to rescue from all harm, and then it didn't build any ability in us to do anything hard. Anybody have that? So then when we don't know how to do anything hard, then what ends up happening? Hard things th come and we think it's death. We over-exaggerate. We're the boy that cried wolf. We're screaming, screaming wolf when we just didn't get our waffle. When our steak just didn't get cooked well, we're just making everybody pay for it. We're just, because we didn't learn to do anything hard, that's how we get trained in it right there. We good? Yeah. Oh. We, okay, I'm almost done. Another little, uh, we're under Susan David, right? 
two first names. Um, this is a lady. She's a doctor. She's a doctor. She said, when we use accurate labels to describe how you're feeling, we are able to transform what feels like cloudy or murky experiences into something with a name and with boundaries. We don't often, th though, use emotional granularity. I love this. Think about granularity is like a salt shaker or sugar. So what it, if you were to say, okay, today we're going to go home, honey, and we're going to pour out some salt, and we're going to describe each one of those granulars. That's what emotional granularity is. You have that many emotions, emotions going on, and you need to look at them and when you have more of this going on emotionally and you are able to describe more ways then that, that, that state of looking at those, and she said, we've actually devolved ourselves into being big, just having these big umbrella, big terms. You know, like I said, weird. But think about it from uh, my emotions are these tiny little things. I need to describe more of them to myself at least. And then she said, when we do this, our own brains don't know how to navigate the reality of how we're feeling. Yeah, I just feel weird. Yeah, I just feel overwhelmed. Yeah, I just don't like that. I was like, well, no, get it a little more. Can we just, I mean, maybe get some of the granular hunk together and at least get some chunks out there we could uh, describe, right? I mean, maybe you can't get that fine-tuned. One of the things we do to keep ourselves from being granular with our emotions is we default to the force false positivity. She calls it the tyranny of positivity. If you were in religion, you have this. If you're in the assemblies of God, you have this. You do. We didn't want to look at nothing. We just wanted to, oh, God's got it. Oh, but God is good all the time. Blessed assurance. Oh, bless them. Oh, we did. It was a forced positive. We couldn't even look at anything for a reality. Think about it. If you can actually identify what it really is, the problem probably is easier to solve. We are, we have been weak in problem solving. Listen, we don't want to live that. I've been guilty of that. Years ago, I used to be that. It's, it is, it's, it's the tyranny of positivity. Like the thing I feel like I should say, yeah. I should be feeling this right now. I should be saying this right now. That's religion. She didn't call it religion, but that's what it is. It's exactly what it is. It's a spirit and it happens in every arena. And see, we're so scared of our own pain that we act like God's like, I don't, I don't think I can do anything with that. And there's no people that can do anything with it. We're just all going to limp to heaven. That was, did you grow up around that? I like this next line. What we're really saying is that my comfort is really more important than your reality. Listen, if you sit across from any people at all, you can hear their story if you're, if you're not on your mind. And you don't want to just say, well, it'll be okay. You know, one of the things I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk Mendel into this. I'm sure of it. But I'm going to tell one on her today. But one of the things, I just forgot what I was going to say because I was thinking about telling you that I was going to talk about you and then I can't remember what I was going to say. It'll come back to me. Hang on. Let me say it again. What we're really saying is that we cover. Okay, this is it. So whenever Cece first came here, 
we had an interaction on the porch at 172 and it was very, very hurtful to her. And, and, and along the way, you know, I discovered more about her. I didn't even know she was an introvert or anything because I, the, there's, the, I have this thing that when I can feel the spirit of fear, and I have it with religion too, I confront it. I confront the spirit of fear. I like to confront it. I like to wrestle it down. But I didn't do good at delineating from her perspective that that was not her. It was a spirit. And she didn't know anything that she knows now. So we have for years, we, you know, it was a thing for a long time. But recently she's had this huge breakthrough where, where God actually showed her just the difference, how that, that, that she has the capability because she was raised with the Jezebel spirit. It's one of the reasons I was going to preach on it to speak what the spirit from that origin says like she can say she can remember it and she can say it and she can partner with it well see one of the things that will get us in conflict is if we start wrestling around because i'm trying to take it down and she may be saying what it says and so in that process and i think this is happening for some more of y'all especially married people you get into this thing where you don't really know what the other person's really talking about or you know it's that it's that thing where they've done something for a long time because you've been married to them for a while and you don't really understand what they were doing but there's probably a backstory and so i don't know if all of y'all can have this experience but at some point we realize wait you know, that there's more meaning to that. And then the Holy Spirit is so good how he brings it all around. And he makes it more clear. And then it, it made her understand how I see those spirits and how I just can't turn that off. And it made me understand how that didn't work for her, how I said that to her and how I could have learned to do it. I did learn to do it a different way. But see, all that process is this right here, that that she was trying to tell me this isn't working for me. But I, but I, but her reality wasn't as important as my personal comfort in that moment, if that's a good example of that. And so that happens, that keeps happening to people, especially opposites, where they're trying to get connection, but they're actually saying something different and we miss each other, right? And so I love, if, if you could just think about that force false positivity and just find yourself there, I think those kinds of things happen when we have that. Um, anyway, that's what she said. It stops us from really understanding what's going on in the other person in a precise and effective way. And that, I would say that happened. I don't even know why she came back. I mean, that could have been, you know, but God just, you know, God knew. Anyway, and so then I like these last two definitions and I'll be done. Connection. Connection is the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. That's real connection. Don't call it connection if it's not connection, okay? Seen. Hurt when they feel, they feel, they feel, not you. When they can give and receive without judgment and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. That's real connection. That's what we're going for. Not manipulation. Don't be trying to do something for somebody and act like it's for you when it's really just to try to get them to like you or try to get them to be okay with you. That's not connection. Just call it for what it is. Hey, I want to do this for you so that I feel good. Just say for what it is. You can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't call that connection. And disconnection, I love this. Disconnection is inevitable. It's inevitable. How do you feel about that? 
It's already been happening. Whether you want to say the word inevitable or not, you've already had it. Okay. In every one of our relationships, every single one, beauty, eh? But when they are acknowledged and there are apologies and acknowledgement of injury, see this, I got to just give my plug for my, if you're, we're in an abusive relationship and this did not happen, apologies and acknowledgement of injury. I am just telling you, they are blind that they abused you. So you can never return back to any sort of relationship without acknowledgement and apologies. It just, it's not real. They have no idea they did wrong. They have no way admitting it, and it just isn't going to happen. So just remember that. It's one of the most profound opportunities for growth and deepening connection. So just back to my example with the Mendel. So that created a disconnection between her and I, right? And so I had to get low. I had to say, I had to, in fact, Mendel requires me to say these words, you know, that mean something. I just don't get to say I'm sorry. She says, why? I like that about her. She says, why? I'm not a professional apologizer because I own my why. And I mean, we've spent a lot of time working through that event. It wasn't just a one-time thing. It comes up later. And see, every time I'm wrong. Every time I'm wrong. She's never wrong. So, see, I want to repair the disconnection that in my position I created. And see, that's the thing, (laughs) is that we oftentimes, we don't ever want to talk about it again. We wanted them to be all good, but there's layers. And you have to be man enough to hear what you've done five billion times. 700, Jesus said, forgive. See, we forget which way that went. If somebody came to you in one day, four times seven times 70, what was it? I don't know, it's a lot of numbers. It's more than anybody's ever done to you in one day. You keep forgiving. You keep owning. You keep getting low. You keep finding out why it's disconnection for them. And I'm telling you, when you begin to do that, I like this. It says the problem is that those injuries to the deep connection are rarely acknowledged and spoken about in relationships where there is a power differential. That's what happened to us that day. There is a power differential because I was in charge. She was just coming. That's why it required me to own what I did and to get low. And no matter how many times she needs to say something about it, my position in my heart has to stay the same. And if you will do that, you will remain in great connection. And I think it's just something that we all need to ascend to. Anyway, come on, Mendel. Thank you, Tisa. Wow, who else is thrilled that we are on this topic? Oh, me too. I feel like I've waited my entire life for some breakthrough in this arena. And I truly believe that it's absolutely 100% necessary in this kingdom age that we're entering into. Because honestly, I feel like in our, um, Tisa and I were discussing some of this yesterday, and I was connecting so many dots, like even, I have to go ahead and say it, that even the the cuss word thing, the topic, I was like, well, I honestly feel like the only reason we have that, that people resort to using that is because of this lack of language to describe things. So we just, if we want to convey something with 
greater emphasis and say, no, I'm hurt. No, I'm really hurt. Or I'm mad. No, I'm really mad. Then we just insert some random cuss word in there for emphasis. And that's kind of what our culture teaches. And I feel like there's lots of stuff like that that we do that it makes me feel like as <laughs> that we're we're just a couple steps away from being like cavemen <laughs> in this arena. Like we're we're just a few steps away from being, you know, Bam Bam was his name from Flintstones. We grunt, maybe throw something, and then we call that sharing our emotions, you know. And I really believe that that this is necessary for us. I mean, if you think about the number of just, I mean, there's so many angles we can think about it from, but there's going to be a lot of hurting people that are entering the kingdom that are going to need healing. And we're going to have to have some kind of language to understand what they're bringing because every single one of them is unique, like she shared. all This background information to explain why, even though we all have similarities, no one's story is going to be the same. And so we're going to have to have language to be able to, to be Jesus with skin on for them. So um, I had this, this great encounter with him uh, the other day with Papa, and he shared with me, before I knew what she was going to talk on, she, he sh brought me into this um, imagery and this analogy that I realize now goes with what she talked about. And I think um, on this topic, there's there's been a lot of teaching on this topic, so I'm going to ask you, please don't just revert to what you've already heard about it, because I've never heard this put this way before. He's, he's talking, trying to emphasize something different to us with this analogy today. And so I tried, um, for, well, I'll just say, like, for me personally, we're all on different, you know, stages of our journey. Some of us need to be more responsible. Some of us need to be less responsible. You know, we've got all those those um, dynamics. <coughs> Excuse me. Some of us, as she said, we're, we've overexpressed our emotions in life, and some of us have underexpressed our emotions. And so um, the Holy Spirit was asking me about a week or so ago to allow myself to feel a little deeper um, the hardships that I've had in life, just to allow myself to feel them because I've capped them off and I've been letting them, you know, in layers, it all happens in layers where we allow stuff to come up. But he was saying like, you're still not experiencing, there's another level to my comfort for you that you are still not experiencing, which affects my trust, affects my interactions with other people. You know, even after you know, several years of healing in this area, there's still so much more that is available. And if I don't ever acknowledge how hurtful something is or how hard something is or my true emotion or feeling about something, then he can't ever speak to that. You know, he can't ever comfort me at that level. And so um, that has just been on my mind for the last week or so. And then I went to spend time with him on on Friday, and I was just worshiping and and you know wanting to connect with him. And he started showing me this picture of a lamb. And as I said, it wasn't the normal emphasis about you know Jesus being the sacrificial lamb, that kind of thing. It wasn't that. It was a little bit different. And I found myself just getting really, really emotional as I looked at this image of a lamb in my mind. And all these emotions started coming up in me, all sorts of stuff. 
And he began to, to show me an angle um, of the idea of a lion and a lamb. You know, Jesus is both the lion and the lamb and how it relates to our story. And so I tried to put it in words. I'm going to read what I wrote and then maybe explain a little bit more if needed. So the first thing I wrote was that I realized that I am caught between the lion and the lamb in my identity. Jesus is both the lion and the lamb, right? Fully king, fully God. He roars over all he sees. While he walked the earth, he was never without his kingship, his authority, his ability to roar with power, to war, and defend his territory. Majestic, he carried himself as one with authority and an innately due reverence. Yet he did it all as a lamb. I said, Papa, I hear you today. Thank you for the way you soften my heart in the places I've hidden away. Thank you for your gentle touch, for the warmth of your hand that calls my heart to life again. I long to feel your comfort in this way and for all the new ways that you're coming. Papa, I hear you today. I see you highlighting the lamb. I see you showing me how gentle, soft, and fully dependent a lamb truly is. I hear you saying that, like Jesus, you made me to be both lion and lamb. That I have attempted to rise with the strength of a lion, a king, that I have attempted to war with such strength and carry myself in such a way. But I hear you today saying, that's not all you've called me to be, that there's a necessary, much-loved and cherished aspect of my identity that you long for me to be. You're asking me today if I'd be willing, if I could allow you, to develop the lamb in me. So many questions and thoughts come to mind. So many feelings and worries, I suppose. When I try to picture myself in this way, as this small, defenseless creature, I am overwhelmed with emotion. Both fear and love wash over me. I long to see myself as pure and clean, as your freshly washed baby lamb. I long to feel your heart over the lamb that you made in me. I long to feel your fatherly affection and care of such a small, tender creature. I long to know such pure dependency on the shepherd. I am overcome with the vulnerability of it all, of all that rises in my heart over one like this, a freshly washed, unblemished, totally dependent, pure existence. I am overwhelmed to identify as one like this. I hear you saying that Jesus' story is in fact my own, more so than I have known. Yes, his origin was, origin was with you, the three in one. But then he came and walked the earth to serve not as the lion, but as the sacrificial lamb. He didn't come to demonstrate his lion ability. He didn't come to devour the enemy 
in the way humanity would expect. He came to be the lamb, to demonstrate tenderness, gentleness, purity, and love. He came to walk as a lamb, fully dependent on your fathering, your shepherding. With vulnerability, he displayed your beauty and ultimately laid himself on the altar for man. Perfect and pure in all his ways, fully dependent, beautiful and without blemish. He gave of himself as a lamb because of your love for your children. He walked as a lamb without ever losing his inherited authority, but he provided the sacrifice that was needed before being risen again to his kingly seat. I wonder, are we too called to be first, to first be lambs before being kings? Is the lamb identity something that must be fully manifest in me before I can be the sacrifice you need? I see the restoration process leading to this. You find us so bruised and broken and must first restore the origin of our identity. You must first fully convince us that we are part of the divine family. Identity as sons and daughters must be restored and fully accepted. We must know the power that we truly hold the authority of a lion in our role. We must become resolute in this. We must learn that it's right to walk in power and authority. We must learn that it's right to have healthy boundaries. We must learn to love, guard, and protect our original identity. That we are not small, insignificant, or powerless creatures. So often, though, We first rise in this way, operating with the only tools we've known. We draw on strength that didn't come from you, but from surviving as an orphan without you. I suspect this is when we must learn to walk as lambs. We must learn our identity as a lamb. We must see our purity and total dependency on you. We must begin to see ourselves not as armed with strength of our own making, but as tender, vulnerable lambs in need of shepherding. We must come to know that without Jesus' shepherding, we are truly, truly unable to do anything. We must learn that we fully belong to him, that we are fully held, cared for, and led by him completely. We must learn to carry our authority as lambs. We must learn how to be the lion as a lamb. Only then can we be the sacrifice that you need. Only then can we be what your children need. Only then can we truly be the pure and pleasant offering we desire to be. And maybe you can already see the way this is connecting to you personally or to this message today, but this 
Again, this isn't so much as how Jesus interacted with other people as a lamb and his tenderness in that direction, but how he himself carried himself as a lamb. He only did what the father did because he was totally dependent on the father and everything that he did. He only went where the father went because, told him to go because the father was his shepherd. He was operating, he was demonstrating to us how to live with him in the future as our shepherd. And so obviously he made himself extremely vulnerable. There's lots of stories in the Bible about that, right? He interacted with people that were rough and and, uh, rough around the edges, you know, and loved on them. He did all of this totally vulnerable. And he, yet he carried his authority as a lion inside that package. And so the emphasis today is, for me personally, I'm working on trusting him more because every place that we are dependent on ourselves is a place that we have capped off being shepherded by him, that we've, we've capped off knowing his strength in that area, knowing his comfort and healing in that area. And so that's why I think this, this teaching on emotions and this whole series that Tisa is on is so vitally important because every place that we have suppressed emotions or emotions that we're shutting down and denying that we aren't getting healing for is a place that you will be self-reliant. I feel like that's across the board. Everything that you will not acknowledge and express or try to express at least and receive healing for, you will operate in a place of self-sufficiency with your own armor, with the armor that somebody else put on you like we what was taught recently, and you will not be operating as a lamb. You will be operating as an orphan trying to be a king. Orphans pretending to be kings. Remember, that was a message not too long ago. So we have got to learn how to be kings as lambs. Be the lion as a lamb. So we've got to learn how to be totally dependent on him. I would love for you all to spend some time um, you know, in the coming days, just picturing that. Maybe look up what it, what it really means to be, for what a shepherd really does, what the lambs really do. You know, they, I don't think that they're withholding when they get hungry. I don't think they're like, I better keep it to myself. You know, I think they just let out some noise, you know. If they need something, they try to go get it and they follow the shepherd wherever they, I mean, they are simple, very tender, very delicate, very vulnerable and very expressive of their needs, they are totally dependent on the shepherd. And so I feel like he's asking us to be willing to be as vulnerable as the lamb, but he's calling us to learn how to be the lamb. We can't just go from being orphaned to a king. We have to go from being an orphan to realizing we have the authority of a king and learning how to be a lamb and then walk on this earth. We can't be what Jesus needs us to be if we are orphans pretending to be kings. Now, I knew there would be a ton of scriptures. I'm sure there's a ton of scriptures about the lamb, right? But I I only had time to look up some, but right away I found the confirmation in scripture for this message. And at first I have to say too, this is, as Tisa already said, but let me just say it again for emphasis, religion has supported the idea that you can be an orphan and pretend to be a king. Religion has backed it up, reinforced it, taught it, reinforced it again, taught it and reinforced it some more. 
They've taught you that you don't have, you shouldn't even give yourself enough attention to be a lamb that needs shepherding, that needs care and attention. I don't know. You all you know all those ways. So again, we have got to break out of that, that mindset and be truly to learn to be truly vulnerable, which means we've got to be realistic about the emotions we have and how to be healthy in them. So of course, the most obvious scripture that came to my mind uh, in Luke 10, 3 through 4 in the Passion Translation, Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's about to send them out. And he says, now off you go. I'm sending you out. Even though you feel as vulnerable as lambs, feel as vulnerable as lambs, going into a pack of wolves, you won't need to take anything with you. Trust in God alone. And don't get distracted from my purpose by anyone you might meet along the way. I want to propose that that's that anyone that you might meet along the way that you think can meet your needs better than me. I find personally that one of my greatest strength training um, exercises that he has walks me through is the opportunity to resist picking up my own tools, my own strength. I'm constantly coming up to something like, well, I could just run head on to this right now. I know what I could do. I, I could just totally do that. You know, I could read a bunch of books. I could do this. I could research that. I could intellectualize this and reason through this and he's just like can you not can you just not like that's so much harder than we think trust in God alone I want to be a lamb I want to be a lamb not something that's going back and forth between the lion and the lamb like some kind of transformer so further on and after that point it says trust in God alone Jesus goes on to talk to them and give them a few other instructions about how to go out as disciples. And the 70 disciples go out and they come back and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, the, the demons even responded to our authority and, and they were all excited. So you get further down to verse 18 and Jesus replied, while you were ministering, I watched Satan topple until he fell suddenly from heaven like lightning to the ground. Now you understand that I have imparted to you all my authority to trample over his kingdom. Doesn't that sound like a lion, right? You will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power Satan possesses. I'm again, I'm picturing the, picturing the lion. This sounds like a lion, right? Absolutely nothing will be able to harm you as you walk in this authority. However, your real source of joy isn't merely that these spirits submit to your authority, but that your names are written in the journals of heaven and that you belong to God's kingdom. This is the true source of your authority. Now, there may be other messages in that scripture, but today what I'm seeing is that he's saying, yes, you have every authority and ability to be a lion in this world. But your real source of joy isn't that your lionness. And your real source of that authority isn't in your power to be a lion, but in the knowledge that you belong to God's kingdom. And your knowledge that you are a lamb 
in a shepherd's fold. You are being shepherded. So to me, this points to reinforcement that being a lamb while we walk on this earth, carrying a lion's authority as lambs is truly where we need to be positioned and postured in our heart to be the pleasant offering that we desire to be for him. So, Pop, I just want to thank you for this word. I thank you for just revealing more of these intricacies about the journey that you're taking us on. I thank you that you have called us up out of nothingness or out of these orphan mindsets to tell us who we really are, that we are kings and queens, that we are sons and daughters with a royal authority. We thank you for the ring and the robe and all the ways that you infill us with power. And I thank you today for showing us that we were never never meant to walk as lions in this world, but as lion, with a lion authority as a lamb, totally dependent on you. Thank you for showing us the importance of this order, that we can't have this order out of place. We can't have this order wrong on this journey or we will forever be flailing around. And so I ask you, Holy Spirit, to show each person to reveal to their heart, to their mind, give them dreams, put it on a billboard, have somebody tell them directly, speak through a donkey, whatever you have to do, but just tell them how this applies to them personally. I fully believe, Father, that you have a place that you are calling each of us to operate as a lamb, that we are still orphans trying to act like lions. Holy Spirit, I just thank you that for your goodness, that you are so faithful to do just that. And I thank you that you wouldn't release this word, you wouldn't release this message, you wouldn't put it on Tisa's heart and all the little puzzle pieces that you put in, the, in place for us to have this message right now if you weren't releasing the grace to operate, to, to respond appropriately and be healed in this way and to come up higher in this way. Thank you for defining what coming up higher actually means. So we thank you. We love you. And I just release your blessing over all the people today. I just released your blessing over all your children. And we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We love you. Thank you for waking us up. Thank you for waking us up today. Thank you for waking us up to how we can truly be a pure and pleasant offering for you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.